I really hate it when someone comes to me and says, pray that God will help me to get a computer, or pray that God will help me to get a car, or pray that God will help me to get such and such. When people do that to me, they're putting a heavy yoke and burden on me to give to them. And ministers do it a lot. We get a lot of emails from ministers all over the world who do that, hoping we will give to them. I hate it. They come deceptively under the guise of prayer, saying things like that to me. I put them away from me as fast as I possibly can when they do that to me. For they should be they should know better. A person who says he's a minister should know better. All he is wanting is my possession. He's making me his God. He doesn't have a faith that God will answer his prayer. But he is trying to make me his God and cause me to give to him. And it is extortion. It's being a thief. It's being a beggar. It's all the things that I really despise. Using prayer incorrectly. Let's look at some of the correct ways to pray. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. That is a pure way to pray, and that is a correct way to pray. Paul says, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't let any concern that you have hang over to tomorrow. If there's anything at all that troubles you at this moment, that means you have not settled it with God. You have not prayed appropriately or, or correctly. If there's any concern that you have at all about anything in the future, the thing that you need to do is let your requests be made known unto God, not unto me, not unto your neighbor, not unto your pastor, to God. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What do you want God to do for you? I have a dental appointment coming up here in about a week, and I've prayed several times about this dental appointment, and I was praying even yesterday, God, please don't let the dentist hurt me. Modern dentistry is so, so wonderful because really they don't hurt you. And I often pray things like, don't let them do any more things to me than they have to do. On all medical things, I would pray that. Let your requests be made known unto God. What do you want him to do in the situation that's troubling you? But so often, they will turn to people like me, thinking somehow or other that I can pray and get something for them that they want. There was a um, young man who wanted to get a contract with Texas Tech to put sound equipment in their university. 
He worked for a sound company. And he said to me, will you pray that I get this job? And I said, no, I will not pray that you get this job. I do not know the will of God for you or your life. In order to pray properly, I have to know I'm praying according to the will of God. He lived 600 miles from me, and he had come to Lubbock, where I was living at the time, and he is someone that I had had some dealings with before in sound equipment. And he knew I was a Christian, and he attends the church, and he wanted me to pray he would get this job. I don't know God's will for him. I would have to know the will of God for him to pray an effective, fervent prayer. And you have to know the will of God for yourself to pray an effective, fervent prayer. There was a time I fervently prayed that I would marry. And the prayer group prayed that I would marry. And my best friend prayed that I would marry. But my best friend, when she was praying, she heard a word over me. My grace is sufficient for her. And Donna told me that word. I didn't want to hear that word, but she told me. And I pretty much knew I was not going to be marrying. The will of God, that's what's important. You can have everybody in your church praying for you to get something based on the scripture that says, if two or more agree upon touching anything, it shall be done for them. You can go before your whole church and have them pray for you and not get your prayer answered because it is not the will of God for you. That's exactly what the problem is when your prayer is not answered. Something is wrong with your praying according to your own lust. You are praying something that is not according to the will of God for you. And you think someone like me can get your prayer answered. But that's not right. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5 concerning praying according to the will of God. Verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, in God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Pray according to the will of God for you. How do you know if it's God's will? Ask him, is this your will? Please show me your will in this situation. He'll be happy to do that. He's probably already tried to show you, but you didn't want to hear it. Or maybe it will be his will. I've had many times when I've been shown things that God would freely give me that I had not even thought of doing. One time I was driving down the highway and noticed a pickup pulling a flatbed trailer at the car next to me. 
And I was looking at the wood that he was carrying on that trailer, which was obviously firewood for fireplace, and he was selling to other people or delivering to other people. And I was sitting there just thinking about it. I was thinking, oh, I wish I had a wood-burning fireplace. I very clearly heard in the form of a thought, you can have that. And I thought, I, I could. I could change my fireplace to wood burning. I'd never thought of that before. There have been many times that God has shown me that there's something that I can do when I'd never thought of it before. When I have the approval of God to do that thing. I've had that happen several times. I had a television set, a plasma that was defective. The dealer said he would come calibrate it, but he didn't do that. And it had black streaks all on one side of it, on the left-hand side of the screen. And I kept trying to make it better by tuning it with a hand tuner, making it lighter and making parts of it darker and changing the colors a little bit. But it always troubled me. One day I was trying to tune it, and I heard... You don't have to put up with this. And I thought, well, that's right. I no longer have to keep this TV. I can buy another TV and get rid of this one. Just give it away, throw it in the garbage. Have the man who installs a new TV carry it out of my house so that I'll not think of it again. See, that's the way of God giving us peace, showing us what to do. And there was a time in 2020 when I was thinking of our, Pam has a very, very old car. I live at her home, one of the members of the body of Christ. And I had an accident and I really can't live alone. And she took me in and my cat also. She has a 17-year-old car. I had a 25-year-old car. Both of the front passenger seats were worn and it hurt me to sit on them. And um, I've had broken bones, two broken hips. And so I've had problems like that. And I was sit standing there, sitting here thinking about those cars. And I was considering having the front passenger seat in both cars reupholstered. And as I thought about this, I heard... Or you could just buy a new car. Well, I hadn't thought about that at all. I hadn't thought about doing that. And I could buy a new car. I realized I had sold a house in Texas. The money was just sitting there in the bank. I had more than enough to buy a new car and have money left over. So I could buy a new car. And that night, God gave me a dream showing me I bought a new car. The next day, Pam and I went and bought a new car. See, this is the thing. I knew it was the will of God because I heard from the Holy Spirit. And I know the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's not a driving, forcing voice, but rather leading, giving you information that you have the approval from God to do something or that you could do something bringing it to your attention in the form of a thought. 
It's just like I'm having a conversation with the Holy Spirit concerning a subject. And he shows me the will of God because the thing the Holy Spirit does is search the heart of God to reveal to us the will of God for us. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Start at verse 9. Paul says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God which things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It would be foolishness in the eyes of most humans to get rid of a relatively new, expensive television set and to go out and buy another one. But it was wisdom from God. It was wisdom from God to do this because I could afford to do it. I didn't have to live being burdened every time I turned the TV on. You certainly would not want anyone else to have the problems with that TV that you have. And the best thing to do is get rid of the TV in that case. The dealer wasn't going to make it good. I contacted the manufacturer and he wasn't going to make it good. And it was a fairly new, expensive TV. This doesn't sound like wisdom, but it was the wisdom from God so that I could live in peace and not be troubled. The Holy Spirit shows us things like that because he searches the heart of God to reveal to us the wisdom of God for us. Paul also says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Concerning prayer, I live in the home of the most godly person I've ever known. For many years I have watched her deal with problems. She doesn't usually come to me and say, we have a problem. She turns to God with the problem and prays. And God will tell her something to do to solve the problem. She solves the problem. And then she tells me, we had this problem with the blog or with the books. We had this problem, technical problem. But I turned to God and he showed me to do something and I did it and it solved the problem. So we don't have the problem anymore. Most of the time that's what she does. When I knew that I could not live alone any longer and I didn't want to live alone any longer 
in the house that I had in Texas, and God even told me, you'll never see this house again, when I was taken to the hospital in 2018, when they rolled me past the door of the house, the front door, when the ambulance drivers rolled me past the door on a gurney, I heard, you'll never see this house again. It didn't trouble me at all. God had already put in my heart that I did not want to live alone. I didn't know how this would happen or exactly what would happen, but it was in my heart. I also had it in my heart that I didn't want a big house anymore. I just wanted one room someplace and have all my stuff in one room where I could get to it. So he had put these desires into my heart. So it didn't trouble me a bit to think of putting the house up for sale and that I would never see it again. I did not want to live in the house anymore. A woman in our church group, at the time I was being prepared for operation on a broken hip, she um, was standing there and the nurse said, I need you to sign the papers concerning who will be in charge of you, medically speaking, if you cannot answer questions. And I said, well, Pam Padgett will be. This woman was very shocked. She said, how can Pam be in charge of you? She doesn't even live here. She lives 450 miles away. How can she be in charge of you? I said, well, I don't know how she can be in charge of me, but she is. Now, why would I do that? For many years, I had watched this woman make decisions, and I, I found them to be very questionable decisions. I found her way to be very strange to me. I had prayed many, many times during the years, if anything ever happens to me, don't let Sandra be in charge of me. Pam, on the other hand, I'd watched her. And when she had a problem, she turned to God and got the answer and took care of it. Now, that's the kind of person I would want in charge of me. It didn't matter to me if she lived 450 miles away. As far as I was concerned, she would make medical decisions if I was not able to answer for myself. So we put Pam down to make the medical decisions. Unknown to me, I would end up living at Pam's house. Now here's what we do. It is just wonderful because without my saying anything or her saying anything, both of us turn to God. We don't get together and say and pray to God out loud. We haven't done that in a year and a half. But when there is a problem, we're both praying in private to God. And then the solution comes and there is no problem. But we, it's not that we're in the same room praying aloud to God. It's just that both of us are praying and we hit on the same thing, obviously. That's where two or more are gathered together. There is Jesus in the midst of them. And it's also that if any two of you agree on any touching anything, it will be done. Well, in private, we are separately agreeing without knowing that the other one's even praying. That's how that works. Let's look at what Jesus said about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 
5. Jesus says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. When I lived in Clovis, New Mexico, USA, some people lived across the street from me who did homeschooling. One day I looked out my window, and there must have been 15 of them standing in a circle in the front yard, holding hands with their head bowed. Teenagers, a few adults, a few elementary school-aged children. I was horrified, absolutely horrified that they did this. They wanted to be seen uh, by men. They could have prayed in the living room. They could have prayed in their backyard, which was fenced in, and no one could have seen them. But no, they got in the front yard on a busy street and held hands and bowed their head. I see football players do that all the time. I hate that. I really hate public displays of religion when they're obviously wanting to show other men that they are religious. Jesus said in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. See, they're wanting to pray in public. They want people to see them as religious. Jesus says, get in your closet and shut the door. Don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing. Pray to God, not to men. And he says in verse 7, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do. The heathen, the Catholics, what do they do with those rosaries? They have beads on them. They go from one bead to the other, praying the same vain words, Hail Mary, Mother of God, something or other. Praying to Mary, a dead person. She can't hear you. She's dead. Mary was a very honorable person. I admire greatly that she said, Be it unto me according to thy word. But they almost make you hate Mary when she was a person we shouldn't hate. But we should be delighted in Mary in what she did. But the Catholics makes you hate her because they use it wrong. When they use scripture wrong, when a person uses scripture wrongly, when they use prayer wrongly, they cause us to hate prayer, which we should love. Oh, they do it all the time. These churches, these people in churches, these ministers, these ministers in other countries who come as thieves and beggars to me, trying to get me to give them my money. I don't do it. God made a provision for me. And I don't give it to them. I just don't do it. Matthew chapter 6 verse 7. But when you pray... Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. 
Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. Then Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Verse 9. After this manner therefore pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name, the word. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evils. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But there's so much corruption among religious people, and especially concerning prayer. It can actually cause us to hate prayer because it is so evil of the things that they do, that we see them do. Recently, a man contacted me. He lives in the Philippines, and he said he was pastor of a church in the Philippines. He told me that he liked one of my books so much, the one that's uh, published on Amazon, and it's entitled Preparing Yourself for the Return of Jesus. And he asked me if I would send him books for his church group. I responded by saying, Amazon does not give me any books to give away. So you will have to just contact Amazon Direct and get books through them because I don't have any extra books. I didn't think much about that. In the letter he wrote me, he told me how much he enjoyed the book, how he was benefiting from it, how he was teaching it to his church group. I didn't think much about it. He attached uh, what he was going to teach Sunday morning at his church, and I thought it was excellent. It was an outline and all scriptures under different categories. It was clear, concise, and I thought it was very good. It's the first time I've received anything like that from anybody who said he was a pastor that I thought was good. I was really taken in by this man. At the end of his letter, he signed the word reverend, identify himself as reverend so-and-so, and I wrote him a correction that no man should call himself reverend. The Bible did not call these preachers reverend. They called them apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. At no place in the Bible is any human called reverend. There's one scripture regarding the word reverend, and it is in Psalm 111. Holy and reverend is God's name, is his name. And you should not call yourself reverend. He responded to me saying he agreed and he would stop using that word. And he told me that the reason that they call themselves reverend is they go to Bible college and they will finish the courses at Bible college and they will say, now you can be called reverend. So they call themselves reverend. I should have picked up on this at the moment because the first time anyone approached me on what should we call you, this woman came to me saying she was a radio audience fan and she said, 
What do we call you, Reverend? I was shocked. It's the first time I'd ever considered the subject. And I said, oh, no, just call me Joan. Paul called himself Paul. Of course, Paul also called himself an apostle teacher. And Peter called himself an apostle. And Philip was called an evangelist. And Silas was called a prophet. And Agabus was called a prophet. So I, I just hadn't really realized at the time she said this that it was proper to be called apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher according to the calling that you have from God. But you don't call yourself reverend. I mean, I just knew immediately when she said it, oh, no, you don't want to call, I don't want you to do that. So why didn't this man know? See, I should have picked up on that. Why did he call himself reverend if he was of God? I didn't call myself reverend. I didn't allow people to call me reverend. Now, another thing this man did, and I've had this happen before. In the Philippines, there was another pastor who wanted to get things for me. He wanted a computer. There was another pastor, and he wanted to call me Mama. And I said, I don't want to be called Mama. Call me Joan. This pastor did the same thing, or this man who said he was a pastor. We really don't know if he's even of God as it turns out. He wanted to call me Mama. He said, he didn't even ask at first. He just started calling me Mama Joan. And I contacted him and I said, I prefer not being called Mama. Just call me Joan. Well, when I told him he should not call himself Reverend, I got a response saying he would, he would stop doing that. And that he would tell the other pastors not to do that. And then he said, and I shouldn't call myself pastor because only God is a pastor. Well, that's not right. So I contacted him again and corrected him saying, no, Jesus called his ministers apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. So it is totally proper for you to identify yourself as pastor. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I got the next letter from him, and he signed it evangelist. Well, it really confused me. What are you, a pastor or an evangelist? An evangelist usually, in my judgment, travels from city to city speaking to the unsaved. A pastor stays usually in one city with one church and speaks to those people who are the church, teaching them the way of God. So which one are you? He didn't even respond. He just, from then on, signed his emails, Brother in Christ. And then the truth came out. And he said, Please pray that God will help me to get a computer and a projector. And he said, I'd rather have a laptop than a tablet. He was even telling me what to send him. He wasn't praying to God. He wasn't wanting prayer to God. He wanted me to send it to him. It was very clear. And I said to God, what do I do about this man? What do I do about him? What do you want me to do? Well, God showed me what he wanted me to do. And I did it. 
I sent him a letter and I said, I see you as a beggar, as a thief, and as an extortioner. And if you continue to go this way for the rest of your life, you will be a beggar and a thief and an extortioner. And I also told him I will not read his emails and will have no more to do with him. They take you in with little hooks. Flattery. Making you think you can somehow help them. They say things that they are doing that are wrong that a person like me immediately sees. And then I have the responsibility of correcting them. And every time he wrote me, I had to correct him. Every time. Now, I hardly ever have to bring any correction to Pam Padgett. She is a member of the body of Christ and has the Holy Spirit. And she corrects herself and lives a godly life. But I've had people in our church group before that every time I talked to them, I had to correct them. I do not believe they are born of the Spirit of God. I don't believe they belong to God. When they can't correct themselves, and you have to correct them all the time. So I was really taken in by this man. I'm glad to say he's not sent me any more emails since I told him I wouldn't read his emails. They consume you. They eat you alive. They end up causing you to have to think of them when you need to be thinking of the church and doing godly things. So it's very detrimental to stay with a person when they do these things to you. Very detrimental. And you won't help them. They'll just, they'll pull you down. You think you'll help them. You won't. They'll pull you down. They will be thorns in your side and pricks in your eyes, says God in the Old Testament. If you continue with them, that's what will happen to you. They will pull you down. But a lot of people just can't accept the fact that they will be destroyed. They think they will overcome these people who aren't of God. They think they can help these people. And they don't realize that these people are going to drain you and pull you down. Well, I get away from them as soon as I recognize them. Just like I did with this man, I said, I will not read your emails. Separating myself from him. I've had many in the past who begged me not to separate from them. Literally begged me not to. And I have done it. Because I know they're not of God. Because I know it will destroy me and destroy the ministry to which I have been given, which is Apostle Prophet. Well, it's kind of hard to understand these things for people in the churches, but that's the truth. I once told my own mother, you can go down, but I won't go with you. She sobered up, and she said, I don't want you to go down. They will pull you down with them if you continue with them. They will be thorns in your side, always troubling you, always having to correct them, and pricks in your eyes. And God said, separate from them. 
that's a passage in the Old Testament, but it's valid today. I know it is. There's a passage in the New Testament, if you need one, be not unequally yoked to unbelievers. That's in uh, 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, start at verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you today.